السلام علیکم ورحمۃ اللہ وبرکاتہ پیس اینڈ بلیسنگس آف اللہ بی اپان لسنرس ویلکم ونس اگین ہے ان ڈرائیو ٹائم شو یو لسننگ ٹو انیک الرحمٰن اینڈ آئی جوائن بائی ڈاکٹر طارق باجو ان دا اسٹوڈیو السلام علیکم پیس بی اپان ڈاکٹر صاحب وعلیکم السلام پیس بی آن یو اینڈ آل آر لسنرس آئی تھنک سم آف دا پلیسز دے آر سیلیبریٹنگ عید ٹوڈے عید الاضحیٰ Poland's admired in a world of inequality. And in second hour, we'll be discussing a very sacred uh, topic, which is Hajj, because the days of Hajj are going on, and uh, we will be discussing that as well, and the significance of Hajj, and how all started, and the history behind it. For that, uh, for both topics, we'll be having some guests uh, who will be speaking with us uh, on Uh, live and uh, you will, will be, we'll be asking some questions to them and uh, hopefully our listeners would benefit from those questions. You can also call us uh, on 0208-687-7878 and you can visit our website www.voiceofislam.co.uk and you can do it at Voice of Islam UK. Today's show is Uh, is focusing on appellants and appellants is a way of describing great wealth or luxury and so we are going to be exploring whether in today's society do we admire those who are extremely wealthy and well off do we aspire to high luxury you know imagine if i would uh, you know i will tell you that in some places around the world you could eat at restaurants that serve meals with 24 karat leaf gold Yes, that's right. Actually, gold is one of the ingredients. You can buy and eat a 600-pound single scoop of ice cream topped with gold shavings. What about a plate of um, biryani for 220 pounds? Whether <laughs> <laughs> you can make it just for 5 pounds, but you have to pay for a plate for a single meal for 220 pounds. I mean, you know, is um, any plate of biryani ever worth 220 pounds? even if it was made of gold this is an example of what living in high luxury can mean i think it is fair to say that we are all guilty of assuming wealth to be a symbol of status at some point in our lives whether expensive cars expensive tuition into certain universities or perhaps we admire someone from the income that uh, they make so we you know subconsciously do sometimes fall for the idea that a wealthy person is a respectable one however in islam we are taught that the accumulation of wealth is vain and useless pursuit indeed the holy quran expresses that verily your health your wealth and your children are trial for you but with allah is an immense reward thus from the islamic perspective The only reason to earn wealth is uh, simply, you know, uh, to meet your own legitimate needs or to aid mankind. Anything beyond this would be a sin, as there would be no further reason for owning such wealth and therefore you would be, you know, hindering mankind from benefiting. Indeed, Allah the Almighty tells us that everything that is found in the world has been created by Allah for the benefit of mankind. 
mountains, rivers, mineral wealth, and other means of human progress are our mankind's collective property. And we all have a share in this collective wealth. The Quran tells us that God Almighty says, I have created this for you. And uh, it is for you, that means uh, his creation, that's the human beings, and that we are all collective claimants of his creation. So why do we admire opulence? Let's take the examples of celebrity billionaires. People like Jeff Bezos, Elon Musk, Steve Jobs are highly well-known and celebrated to the point of having cults of personality. However, evidence points that these individuals did not necessarily earn their wealth. For example, Elon Musk is deemed a self-made billionaire, yet his parents owned an emerald mine in South Africa. Another example is Jeff Bezos, owner of Amazon. Amazon is a company often makes headlines for its poor working conditions for employees and wasteful policies. In spite of this, why are these individuals so popular? Psychologists say that it is because many people fantasize about being billionaires. When they support Musk, they are actually supporting a version of themselves. They also want to be winners. Thus, people support billionaires because they want to be them and they link their they share um, the same lifestyle values so people look up to rich people rich people have what we want if we had what they had our lives would be better right so um, what is what is the truth does money equal happiness so can more money lead to more happiness? That is the question. According to studies which have been done, this is only true to a certain extent. Having more money will lead to a temporary increase in happiness, but after a certain point, it stops. So suddenly, having money to pay bills, tuition, and being able to replace broken items or buy necessities will, without a doubt, make a huge difference to people's lives. Beyond this, however, there is little to gain. This is supported by the earlier point that accumulating wealth is only permitted in order to live within your means. Beyond this, there is little benefit. Robert Emmons, a psychology professor at the University of California, has stated that gratitude and materialism opposing forces in the mind. Rather than being happy with what you own, showing gratitude for what we already have makes us far more happy. As we acknowledge the joys of friendships, relationships, and the beauty of the world around us. So gratitude, being thankful to what we have rather than moaning about what we don't is the key to happiness. The Holy Prophet of Islam, Prophet Muhammad, may peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, he stated that wealth is not in having many possessions, rather true wealth is the richness of the soul. We have uh, the example of the person of the Holy Prophet, may peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, himself, the way he spent all his life, and then even at the last moment he was worried about uh, 
a coin he had left, in, uh, you know, in his possession, and he said that that should be given as an alms, as as a charity. So, if he, who was the wisest person on earth, if he spent in his life, it's not that he did not get the opportunity to be rich, that he was not bestowed upon the blessings from God Almighty so that he could fill his home with all sorts of luxuries, yet he preferred to live a life of um, uh, of very, you know, of just whatever he needed, he, he would get that. So if we look around the world, we see that even in the current world, we see so much inequality which is around us. Now, that might be the root of the problem. So a recent study by the IMF has revealed that today just 10% of the global population holds 76% of global wealth. This level of inequality equals that of imperialism. That is when the, the world was made of empires. So in the first world where we are living, people can afford to buy every upgrade of the new iPhone. Well, many of them. Meanwhile, in developing nations, people risk their lives for pennies just to earn a living. The COVID-19 pandemic has made this divide even worse as the 10 richest men in the world doubled their fortunes while the income of 99% of humanity fell. So regarding opulence, which we are discussing today, His Holiness, the fifth caliph uh, of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, Hazrat Mirza Masroor Ahmad, may Allah be his helper, he stated that the state of Muslim countries today is such that Muslims travel here just to spend lavishly for self-gratification. In fact, upon seeing an advert for that very same gold ice cream we earlier spoke about, um, His Holiness commented that $850 is enough for a good living for a family in a poor country. But these people, they spend it on a cup of ice cream. This is a result of those with money not knowing how to spend it in the way of Allah, the Almighty, or for the betterment of mankind. So this is, this is what is the current state of, you know, what we talk that people, there are people who are living a luxurious life True. They do not really know how much money they have and they don't, do not exactly know where to spend and what is, you know, when they enter a store, you know, this is the stores, they close their many levels just so that they can buy or do their shopping. And they would just say, oh, I did this, this, this. And, and they then never have to worry about, you know, how or who is going to pay the bills. So in that state of affairs, we, we see the opposite contrast that people going on the rubbish dumps and uh, eating from there. I've seen mm -hmm. it with my own eyes in India, many, many places um, that, you know, you see many children, they are, they are just, you know, feeding sure. on, the, on the rubbish bins. So, uh, so there is a, there's a huge contrast. So where do we find happiness? Um, yes, true. Uh, now we're going to move to, I will take our guest first, who's with us, uh, Mackenzie Thorpe, a British artist. Uh, Mackenzie Thorpe is a British artist uh, from Middlesbrough, uh, North Yorkshire. He hails as a global art phenomenon. Mac 
You know, Mackenzie has over 30 years of artistic practice with a Bachelor of Master's and, you know, Honorary Professorship by CC University Japan. His work centers on his childhood growing up in Middlesbrough and since 2020, his original works are estimated at 10,000 pounds. Now we're going to move to our first guest. Assalamu alaikum. Peace be upon you and thank you very much for joining us today. Hello there. Uh, Mackenzie, I would like to ask you, uh, you know, uh, you were the first of the seven children and before, you know, pursuing art, you worked in local shipyards. Please tell us growing up what your childhood was like. Well, Middlesbrough is a, um, a very working class industrial town. Steelworks, shipyards, foundries, etc. And um, you could see we, we didn't grow up with a lot, <laughs> you know, that maybe a couple of pairs of shoes a year and you get your hair cut once a year. Um, and I'm the oldest of seven. My dad was in and out of work and my mum did her best. And, but overall, we played in the streets, played football, you know, cowboys and Indians, ran around the streets and had a good time. Middlesbrough is a place of strength, you know. It's a strong, strong community where you'd go next door and ask for some sugar or some flour. Oh, and it, you, you didn't look like you were cheap or anything. You were just one of the community, and we helped each other out. And that was so, so positive in Middlesbrough. And the biggest lesson we learned was not from school. It was from grandma, grandparents, and father and mother, mm-hmm. was you, you have to go to work. I left school at 15 years old with no qualifications, mm-hmm. and you've got to go to work. So... That's what we, that's what I did, and I, my first job was breaking up cardboard boxes for fourteen pounds. Every two weeks, I got fourteen pounds, and right. that's where I started. Mm-hmm. Very interesting. Okay, so how did you find your way into art, and did you pursue art with a career in mind? No, never. Mm-hmm. I drew all my life. Um, my mum would give me paper because it kept me quiet. <laughs> you know, you've got two and a half bedroomed house with eight people in it. Right. And when I was born in my grandmother's house, I think there was 12. So count my mum and dad. So um, drawing was just my escape. You know, we had a small black, nine inch black and white television. And so to watch the movies, the Westerns and all, all that kind of stuff was an escape. And I, I wrote poetry and I drew pictures because... I was never very good at football or doing any kind of sports. And I didn't, frankly, you know, want to do that. I, I like being on my own and drawing. I'm dyslexic. And so at school, it was just so difficult. And I was feeling everything but drawing. And that's what I just kept on doing. And I didn't stop. And I, of course, I had to make a living. So you know, I worked on shipyards. I worked on the River Tees, ferrying chemicals um, in the foundries. I've had, you know, I've had lots of jobs. And when I got to the age, one point, I was made redundant from the shipyards because the job was over. Mm-hmm. I was 20 years old. And I just walked into the art college in Middlesbrough and said, can I be an artist? Okay. They gave me an application form. It was terrible. <laughs> I, couldn't <laughs> read it. I couldn't read it and I couldn't write it. Mm. But I just, I just wrote down that, I remember I was in a cornfield and I just wrote down I have to be an artist. It was just a feeling inside my body. This is what I'm supposed to do. But it wasn't until about, I don't know, 15 years, maybe after that, that I wrote in my passport that I was an artist. You know? 
I, I didn't call myself an artist. And now I don't think that I'd regard it as a job. It's just my way of life. Right. And I'm very fortunate, very, very fortunate that there's people out there who like my work mm-hmm. and, you know, collect it and keep me going. Very well, grateful. Right. Okay. So how do you find your your approach to life as you you got more money, basically, you know, although it was associated with your art? Uh, but, uh, you know, did your approach change with time? I approach changed, but it wasn't, it wasn't planned. I don't plan things in life like this. Um, I just go along with it and with the flow and the inspiration inside my emotions. My art was picked up by agents and printers and galleries all across the world. And... You don't start off making lots of money. The artist gets 10%, mm-hmm. you know? Um, so it's a slow trickle at the beginning, mm-hmm. and then things get better if you, if you last long, mm-hmm. and with the right people and the group around you to support you. And you've also got to fill the galleries, so you've got to work really hard, nonstop. Mm-hmm. And... Um, that's it. The job just gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And my attitude to life, now we run our own company and we don't have agents, so to speak, and we just work on. And I'm at the greatest point of my life so far regarding career that I can choose what I want to do. Mm-hmm. People want a Mackenzie Thorpe, so I can draw Mackenzie Thorpe. I don't have to draw it to order anymore. And I'm filling galleries and making great friends and just experiencing life in a very different way to what you've just been talking about in one, one sense. Um, are comfortable. So I don't have to worry about the gas bill, as my father said to me when I got married. If you don't have to worry about the gas bill, then life will be all right. Mm. And I've got to the point where I can buy the best materials to, to make my work. I've just built a 15-foot sculpture that is on a ranch in Texas. Mm-hmm. And I, I, now I can afford to live my aspirations in art. If I want to do this, boom, I can do it. If I have to travel there, I can travel there. If I'm opening a show, then I, I wear nice clothes. I can go and get dressed up and be a nice person and welcome people and not have to worry about the gospel. Right. And that's important to me. When I first started off without any agents and stuff, it was very, very difficult. Mm-hmm. And I never want to be there again. When it got to the point where we couldn't even buy food sometimes. And I felt so bad as a father and a husband because I couldn't provide for my family. Right. The okay. most important thing now at 66 years old is my legacy. Mm-hmm. All I care about now is leaving a good legacy for who I leave behind. That's my point of working now. Right. Okay. Uh, what about did you did you open your own gallery at some stage? Nineteen eighty nine, and it's still there now. Yep. Okay. And how was your experience? It was very horrible. I opened it up selling trying to sell art materials, and huh. nobody really bought them, or they'd only buy one tube in six months. Right. So I started using the the materials to do, to make work. Mm-hmm. But I was just sitting there. I had to find a way out. How can I make money to take home to pay the rent? Mm-hmm. 
So I started drawing postcard-sized paintings of, of the local area, Richmond, North Yorkshire, the Dales and the Moors. Mm-hmm. And I was selling them all the time. And then I started to draw, you know, like the things that I knew, the right. working people from the shipyards and stuff like that, and it got interest. Um, the newspapers started to write about it. The radio came, and then the television came, and then people, agents from America, Japan, Australia, and hmm. the whole, and England, the whole thing just took off. Right. And it, that's how it changed. And I never, you can't plan such a thing. I don't believe anyway. I'm not clever enough to plan. Mm-hmm. All, all, all I can do, all I can do well is my job. And the ethic that I was really, really brought up with was, if, you know, go to work. As Vincent van Gogh said, if you can't work, go to work. And I do it every day. Uh, and with, you know, with, with obviously getting into a better position, has the fear of losing money quickly stayed with you? Always. I never expected to go. I still, if I hear a knock in the night, whoa, it makes you go cold mm-hmm. in case it's somebody wants wants this bill paid or it's the VAT or it's whatever. So, no, I think what happened over them years when we nearly lost everything, that shame in one respect, um, it's, it's, it's scarring. It, I don't think it does leave you, no, never. Mm-hmm. And I never take anything to you know, I'm st- I'm still thrilled and oh, grateful that I can go into a shop and buy a nice shirt, go to a restaurant and have a nice meal and treat my family and travel around the world and see things and meet culture and, you know, and still be part of who I am. I haven't changed. I'm still part of Middlesbrough. They yeah. say I, I'm an ambassador in Middlesbrough. They made me, they give me the, the key to the city, to the town. You know, which is a massive honour. It only happens once in every 14 years. And so I've been rewarded in so many ways for what I do. And all I do is draw. And I draw the the things that I know and the things that I love. So becoming wealthier has not changed your attitude towards life? Not at all. No, what I've learned is, like, somebody asked me years ago... Mm-hmm. At a big conference, and they said, what do you spend your money on? I said, it's not about spending money. I'm richer in the heart and in the mind mm-hmm. because I've got some, I don't have to worry too much about the money. It's hard to build up your soul if you're worried about what you're going to eat tonight. Mm-hmm. And I don't have that worry, so I can think about them things, and I can have massive inspirational thoughts and now I can actually do the work as well mm-hmm. okay that's great uh, Mr. Mackenzie Top. thank you for joining us on our drive time show live uh, thank you for joining us it was uh, um, really nice to talk to you and I hope that uh, our listeners have enjoyed uh, as well thank you could I just say one more thing you're sure I'm totally aware when watching the news about what's going on financially with everybody in the yeah. communities that I know. And I just really, really feel for them. And I'm putting that message in my work. And we're working on a book that will reflect this. And I've got a huge exhibition in Israel at an Arab art gallery mm-hmm. next, next year. And it's all about love and communication between communities, 
religions, politics, the whole thing through art. Oh, that's art true. and love are the most important thing. Mm -hmm. that's Thank brilliant. you very much. That's brilliant. Thank, Thank you very much. Have a nice Thank day. You. Thank you. And you. Thank Bye. you very much. So we were uh, speaking to Mackenzie Thorpe, a uh, British artist, and um, you know you must have heard him how he started his life and how. You know, uh, I, I don't know. I should say, you know, God has hold, 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 you know, hold His hand, and it, everything got changed. You know, think there uh, in everybody's life. There's experience. Everybody, you know, uh, grows up and uh, see the change within their life, how they start and how they end. I think a person should be keep striving uh, for for good. I think that's what um, Mackenzie has mentioned. Before the guest, we were discussing a very important topic, uh, as you know, Dr. Tariq was mentioning. Does you know the money or money can bring happiness within somebody's life or not? You know, can more money lead to more happiness? According to studies done, this is only true to a certain extent. You know, having more money will lead, you know, will lead to a temporary increase in happiness, but after a certain point, it stops. So suddenly having money to pay bills, tuition and being able to replace broken items or to buy necessities will without a doubt make a huge difference to people's life beyond this. However, there's a little to gain. This is supported by the earlier point that uh, accumulating wealth is only permitted in order to live within your means. Beyond this, there is little benefit. So... We see even, you know, in, in our life, the money cannot buy happiness. You can go and buy a new car after maybe a month or two months. There will be another, you know, you will have another desire to fulfill. And you would think, okay, that would make you happy. And after, you know, fulfilling you that desire, you know, the person has this instinct that he, you know, instinctively that he will ask for another thing. That's, you know, the happiness doesn't stop somewhere. To make you happy through wealth, there's no end to it. So it's very important that one should find peace and happiness within itself. Wealth cannot bring, you know, uh, happiness. It can bring stability. It can bring, you know, calmness or, you know, some kind of support in your life. But shouldn't, we can't say that money can, you know, bring a true happiness. So if we, you know, move on, uh, the Robert Ammons, you know, a physiology a psychology professor at the University of California has stated that gratitude and materialism opposing forces into the mind in the mind rather than being happy with what you own showing gratitude for what we already have makes us for far more happy as we acknowledge the joys of friendship relationships and the beauty of the world around us and that's what the holy prophet you know sallallahu alaihi wasallam peace be upon him stated the wealth is not in having many possessions. Rather, true wealth is the richness of the soul. And this is the key element, the key thing, and that's what, you know, Mackenzie Thorpe was mentioning as well. And that's what the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, mentioned 1500 years ago, that wealth is not something which, you know, can bring happiness to you. True wealth, and, you know, one cannot be saying, if you have wealth, I have everything. He says that true wealth is the richness of the soul. If you are rich, if, I've seen many people, they have money, but they don't know how to spend. They spend some time and they don't want to spend on, on, on people who are in need. 
they spend on certain things and sometimes even they don't want to spend that money which they have in their account they want to keep it there even though you know they can spend and there there won't be any effect <laughs> in in their money but the richness of soul is not there and that's what the holy prophet peace be upon him said one should not be you know keep saving the money in his account rather it should be going out it should be helping people it should be in the market rather than keeping it safe and the one thing you should have is it you know is a wealth of soul and that's what the holy prophet peace be upon him did we see that whenever he used to get something or money or anything he used to distribute there and then he used to give in charity there and then he used to give people to you know spend rather than keeping it to himself he could have kept it but no that's not the way you know this 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 world works so that's what happened when you keep wealth there are certain people who keeps the wealth within them but the rest of people they're struggling and the people who have wealth there are some of them they think about people who are in need but there are many who do not and what happens the poverty keep increasing and the richer become more richer and the poor become more poor so it is very important that the money which is there should be in dotation it should not be kept within their banks um i think that's why there's uh, you know if you read the holy quran the holy quran has given emphasis uh, always emphasis along with the worship of uh, god almighty himself you know it has always instructed that the best thing you can do for yourself is to share your wealth hmm. and uh, there is uh, you know within the five pillars of islam on which the foundations of islam is based Uh, one of those pillars is zakat zakat is that you um you pay or you donate you know 2.5% of your uh, wealth which is sitting there um for the whole year you have to give for the sake of allah for those for those people who are in need yeah. and it is a responsibility of the um the governing authority that they distribute it to those people and reaches and is spent in such a way so that everybody in the in the society can benefit out of that so the capital levy that has been prescribed by the holy quran is what is called zakat the word means that which purifies and fosters so by subtracting the share of the community from all wealth the rest is purified for those entitled to make use of it and by the application of the proceeds to the service of the community the welfare of the community is fostered zakat um, as i mentioned is the third pillar of islam and it thus reflects the importance in islam of one's fellow beings so you should not limit your wealth or whatever fortune you have um, you should share it because god almighty says that the resources which has been provided by me throughout the world they are they should be shared and everybody has a share in it as a human being so um is although it is a responsibility of the state that they make sure that everybody shares the um, you know whatever fortune they have and they have been um blessed with that that should be shared among the the people who are not that fortunate and particularly those who are destitute those who are in need they should be um, given a chance so that they can survive and they their basic needs are fulfilled uh, a report recently published by oxfam that is uh, an international charity has found that an annual wealth tax of just up to 5% on the world's millionaires and billionaires could collect 
1.7 trillion dollars a year. So this amount would be enough to save 2 billion people out of poverty, fully fund current shortages in current humanitarian appeals, deliver a 10-year plan to end hunger, support poorer countries affected by climate change, and deliver universal health care and social protection for everyone living in low and lower middle income countries. So if billionaires, they parted with just 5% of their annual wealth, look how much impact it could have across the world. It is worth mentioning that zakat is only 2.5%. Thus, how blessed are the teachings of Islam, the Holy Quran states, those who spend in prosperity and adversity and those who suppress anger and pardon men, and Allah loves those who do good. And, uh, you know, the, the, the word which God Almighty has used here is, is, is muhsinin, that Arabic word, that they, those who do favor upon others. Now, you see that um, it is a normal or natural response that somebody who does good to you, you do good in response to that. Mm. But these are people who, there are some of them who, who you will never meet them. Those who won't be there to thank you. Those who are not in a position or not capable of returning a favor done to them. Yet, you do it purely for the sake of Allah. For the sake of the player of Allah, you go out to help them and you do things um, which will continue you will continue to get benefit out of that even if you pass away from this world. You know, when you go from this world, you don't take take anything with you. Everything remains here. And you go, your body even remains here. Your soul goes to the next world and gets another body. And that body it will get is according to what you good deeds you have done or what bad deeds you have done. So obviously you you want to take something with you which is going to be beneficial. And one of the things which goes with you is the good deeds you have done in this world, particularly the charity. If you've done a, a charitable work, as long as that charity is going on or people are getting benefit out of that, you will be rewarded in the hereafter for that. Even if you have trained your children in a good manner so that they continue the, the, the jobs, the, the good deeds you did. They continue to do so and they pray for you. That also you will receive in the hereafter. So that is something to invest in. So if you are lucky to be having wealth, if you are um, able to, you are able to afford to help others by any means, and God Almighty says that the sign of the believers is that whatever we have provided them, they spend out of that. That whatever we have provided, because anything which they have, they have received is, is not out of their own um, being cunning or clever and that they, they have been able to get that. It is surely is the sheer blessing of God Almighty that God Almighty has provided them with, with whatever they've got. So they should try to um, share this with others and they should try to reduce the suffering which is around and it is a lot. But 
even even in the you know so-called first world where you know people are affluent they can afford the basic needs you know the life is becoming difficult nowadays mm. because um the cost of living has increased and there are many people who are like white collared and they are, they don't go for you know getting the benefits and um you know um, asking or begging from somebody uh, for help so these people they need help and at this time i think everyone should share and so that they can and one thing as a reward they will get is the pleasure the pleasure you get in helping somebody who is in need it is something which which cannot be explained in words if it you have to experience yourself and to see that how happy you are when you have made someone happy mm. you have made a hungry person um provided him with food or or something you know people are desperate a student you know somebody who is in need of a uniform somebody who is in need of a book and and you provide something so that they can go and get it an admission into a higher class where they they desperately want to study but they cannot afford that is something which changes lives of people and definitely that is going to to make you happy and this is happiness which is going to last forever so this is this is what you know we're talking about opulence that just just having a lot of wealth does not make you happy and uh, the happiness comes out of helping somebody who is in difficult time and uh, because of the inequality in this world um you know materially people they do need help and uh, if it is done purely for the sake of the player of our creator that is going to to give us the benefit of his player getting his player not only in this world but in the hereafter as well i think you're true i think one of the verses of the holy quran lan tanalu albirra hatta tunfiqu mimma tuhibun one thing is very important whenever we do you know give anything for charity we have to give something we like that's what the verse means you know it's this is not the true uh the righteous deed that you should you should you should not be spending uh what you like the most you should be spending what you like the most if somebody you know is just donating 5 10 pounds and thinking they're giving into charity even though god has blessed them with a lot of money a lot of wealth this is not the you know pure deed or you know righteous deed to spend that much it cannot achieve the the level which god want wants to achieve and it is very important very necessary that one should be spending what they love the most if sometime you know we just giving what 10 pound charity we have to think that many times in a month we just go out and spend maybe 15 20 pounds on the meal and even regardless thinking you know we are spending a lot every day just for our food and that's i think there's a right uh, we have uh, towards um, you know uh, other for for the mankind that we should take care of them and we should take we should be providing them provision because if god has blessed us and then we should also try to help others those who are in need in the world i think we have our next guest uh, online with us uh, clay cockrell who is a psychotherapist and founder of walk and talk therapy uh he has an experience as a psychotherapist for over 25 years as well as he's an author public speaker podcast host and most specifically the founder of walk and talk therapy where clients are invited to walk through new york 
during their session. Clay works with high-power individuals, uh, for example, from Wall Street, and has much experience with wealthier clients. For Clay, more money is indeed more problems, which is also the theme of his scary money podcast, which explores the challenges of wealth. So we welcome him. Clay Cockrell, uh, welcome to our show um, here on Drive Time Show on Radio Voice of Islam. Uh, welcome to our program this evening. Thank you. It's, it's good to be here. Uh, Clay, uh, you know, there is this idea that having more money means uh, you should be happier or less to worry about. Can you please tell to our listener, is it true? Well, it's true to a certain degree. If you are struggling to uh, pay your rent and basic necessities, more money is going to relieve that stress and going to make you happier. But after a point, more money just brings more problems. It doesn't always bring more happiness. And I deal with a lot of very wealthy clients who are struggling because they've got too much money. True. Uh, you know, in your article of The Guardian, uh, you wrote that money is seen as dirty and secret. Money is awkward to talk about. Your money is uh, wrapped up in, in guilt, shame and fear. Why do people find it harder to talk about money as a problem? Because it's very private. And, and I think it's a, an important distinction to talk about uh, secret versus private. Hmm. Secret is, is dark, it's dirty, and private is appropriate. There are some things in life that should be private. And because our bank accounts, the money that we have is, is private, it, it's hard to talk about because it begins to bleed into that secret area. And people begin to judge one another uh, when they're talking about uh, money. But I, I think it's important within a family that you do talk about wealth, about money, about what money means, and how you can use it wisely. You know, very much true. And can you please explain for our listeners, you know, the, the toxicity of in excess of having money. Can you please explain how the money, whether you know, we think that it brings happiness, how can that be toxic? It becomes toxic when it's too much. Hmm. Having too much money is dangerous. Um, people die from it. Uh, suicide, uh, drug use hmm. um, can be a, a direct line from having too much money. Uh, people, especially children, um, adolescents who are raised in an environment where their every whim is indulged and they have um, they have no restrictions they begin to look for more and more excitement uh, they can have a lack of ambition because you know why go to college why start a business why work hard when you've got all this money coming to you mm. so it can be quite dangerous very much true. Um, so then what is the solution for these problems, you know, that are faced by the wealthy people? Is the answer to simply not to be wealthy or something else to? <laughs> I know, nobody no, wants to, wants to listen to that, isn't it? <laughs> I don't think that that's the answer. Yeah. I think the answer is to understand that, that money can, be, uh, can bring different challenges. And happiness is not going to come from money. Happiness comes from purpose, from having a reason to get up in the morning, to have something that you're passionate about. And um, I, I think the solution is, is talking about money, talking about how, um, 
you know, if, if, if all of your choices in life are to get more money, that's an empty life. And it should be guided more of your reason for living, your purpose. And therefore, you begin to make choices that are going to make you happy. Maybe you're going to go into a career that brings you contentment, not just because of the money. Uh, true. You know, finally, I would like to ask you, as an individual who grew up in a small rural town in, in Kentucky where the sense of community was very strong, how have you managed to hold on to your values despite you know living in a fast-paced city like New York and despite routinely seeing clients who were raised so differently to you? I, I, I was taught that uh, comparison is the key to unhappiness. Hmm. And when we begin to compare ourselves to others and what they have, and it just leads to a road of unhappiness. Um, I think that we can maintain our, our morals and our ethics regardless of the environment that we're in. And um, I've tried to do that within a, a fast-paced uh, New York environment um, as best I can. I think that they're very much right. Um, you know, uh, one thing, um, you know, you've been, as, as I mentioned in these, um, in, in, in your uh, introduction, that you have been working uh, in, in New York. How um, do you think people who are uh, coming to you, how mostly they're happy? Have you felt, you know, even there's somebody who's not happy, even though you've seen the clients, and have you seen these kind of things in there? Well, I, I think most people who go see a therapist Hmm. don't do it because they're happy. <laughs> hmm. So my my view is skewed. People come to me because they have challenges. I'm hmm. sure that there are very wealthy people out there who are very content and, and happy, but I get to see those that are struggling because there's some shame about their wealth. They're, they feel guilty. They feel, a lot of people feel very isolated because they aren't able to associate with people who are not like them. Um, so, yeah, I would admit that <laughs> I don't always get to see the happy people. Mm -hmm, okay. Uh, thank you very much, uh, Claire, for joining us today and uh, giving an insight of the question we have asked you. It was a pleasure speaking with you. Thank you very much once again for joining us today. You're most, you're most welcome. Thank, thank you. you very much. So you were listening to Claire uh, Corkle, uh, psychotherapist and founder of Walk and Talk uh, Therapy. As we were saying, you know, as uh, even Claire mentioned as well, People have money, but they are not happy. And again, as we were mentioning in the beginning, what Islam says, I think the religion is something which gives you the way uh, for, for, for life, how you should, you should spend your money. I think Islam is the only, uh, no, no, Islam, the religion is the, you know, the gives you, uh, or tells you how to live your life properly in every kind of aspect in your life, regardless how to treat with your parents, your, you know, how to, you know, do a good, uh, you know, how to treat with your children, how to treat your neighbors, you know, the, any kind of, uh, you know, necessity or any kind of need we have in the, in, 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 in our life, Islam has answered, you know, religion has answered for it, and particularly in Islam we are discussing here. In Islam, the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, Allah, Allah Ta'ala himself has mentioned in the Holy Quran in the Hadith, that how one should be conducting and living his life. And that's what we see from very beginning. We have learned that for every single thing, the teaching is there. One can learn it, one can read it, and then apply in the life. And we see that 
having more wealth there's answer to it that how one should be regulating the money which she has you know in in, 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 in with him and we see that you know it's is evil as uh, as as mentioned in the beginning to keep everything with you islam says to you know give money out as a charity and do a businesses that should be there so generating more opportunities for others and they can be you know um, uh, a part of the society and what will happen that will be you know it will bring peace and harmony within the society and i would uh, like to you know uh, read out uh, the <clears throat> one of the you know a uh, sermon where uh, the, the current khalif of amdi muslim association has mentioned about you know the rich people and the poor people they coexist in the world and what is the way that both uh, should both should be doing and he said you know that in every society the rich and the poor coexist and the needy and those who provide uh, for them live side by side but there are people who due to their right you know greediness and self indulgence abstain from spending their wealth in the way of religion nor do they fulfill the needs of the poor to the point that they become entirely oblivious to the rights of others they do not wish to spend an iota of their wealth that is given to them by god almighty this kind of attitude you know widens the gap of between people and uh, severs ties between them it also promotes feeling of jealousy and in you know, a rancor among the poor for their wealthier relatives a believer should restrain from such greed thankfully there are no such people or very few of them in the jamaat who in this in, in the community who keep an eye on others wealth in fact it has come to notice that the poor and less resourceful people are often those who make large financial sacrifices keeping in perspective their economical standard the more affluent people should always be mindful of the needs of their brothers and feelings of anger and dispute uh, should never prevent them from extending their hand in help to the poor an ahmadi muslim should not indulge in fulfilling his or her own desires alone but should respect the desires and need of his brothers sisters poor and others and the khalifatul masih the khalif related the incident from the life of the holy prophet peace be upon him that he was going through very difficult time of trial when hazrat aisha was accused of a certain wrongdoing at that time there were certain people who were otherwise righteous but for some reason accused hazrat aisha wrongfully whom hazrat abubakar the first khalif of islam was helping financially hazrat after hazrat aisha the wife of the holy prophet peace be upon him pardoned from allah the almighty hazrat abubakar saw that he would never help these people again on that occasion allah revealed the following verse and let not those who possess wealth and plenty among you swear not to give aught to the kindred and to the needy and to those who have left their homes in the cause of allah let them forgive and forbear do you not desire that allah should forgive you and allah is most forgiving merciful so this is the commandment for the believers to follow for all the times despite the fact that it was hazrat abubakar siddiq's daughter who was you know suffering and the prophet himself was grieving allah commanded not to withdraw your helping hand even at this difficult time allah is most forgiving and expect the same of his people 
Well, in such circumstances, the companion of the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, was warned that in normal times, such activities of helping others become even more important. Financial contributions and sacrifices result in promotion of peace. At the time of Hijrah, you know, Ansar uh, displayed a similar affection for their Muhajir brothers. Muhajir are the, those who basically traveled from uh, Mecca to Medina. They migrated from there and the Ansar who basically gave them a house. Their, their example of helping one another set a tone of founding society filled with peace and harmony and the bond created by Hazrat Muhammad, peace be upon him, between two Muslims brothers was tied in love forever. This brotherhood reverted in the entire world and caused a revolution to take place. The same sentiment should be exhibited by the followers of the promised Messiah, Islam, who is the obedient servant of the Prophet, peace be upon him, so that a new society of peace and accord can emerge. So I think this is the, <clears throat> uh, you know, the, the what summary in nutshell, that God Almighty has created us, we have rights toward Allah the Almighty and rights towards others as well. If God has given us, blessed us, then we have to take care of others regardless. If we think that He is not doing good for us even then, if you can help, then indeed we should have this verse in our mind that Allah Ta'ala would forgive, Allah Ta'ala will bless us more if you are you know, sharing whatever God has given to you. Allah the Almighty says in the Holy Quran, chapter 2, verse 262, that the similitude of those who spend their wealth in the way of Allah is like the similitude of a grain of corn which grows seven years and each year a hundred grains. And Allah multiplies it further for whomsoever He pleases and Allah is bountiful all-knowing. In um, the, the next verse, chapter 2, verse 263, Allah the Almighty says, They who spend their wealth in the way of Allah, then follow not up what they have spent with taunt or injury, for them is their reward with their Lord, and they shall have no fear, nor shall they grieve. And uh, another verse, uh, chapter 2, verse 266, Allah the Almighty says, In the case of those who spend their wealth, to seek the player of Allah and to strengthen their souls is like the case of a garden on elevated ground. Heavy rain falls on it so that it brings forth its fruit twofold. And if heavy rain does not fall on it, then light rain suffices and Allah sees what you do. May we all endeavor to live within our means and always strive to serve mankind and fulfill our duties towards Allah the Almighty and uh, be thankful to the blessings he has given by sharing it with others and uh, and pray to him that he keeps us on the right track so you were listening uh, to today's show uh, now we're going to go to our break and we'll be right back for you another very essential teaching is that you do not leave the holy quran like a book that has been forsaken since therein lies your life those who honor this holy book shall be honored in heaven. Those who will hold the Holy Quran superior to every tradition and every saying shall be given preference in heaven. For mankind spread over the surface of the earth now, there is no book except the Holy Quran. For the sons of man, there is no messenger and mediator except Muhammad, may peace and blessings of Allah be upon him. So strive and cherish the purest love for this prophet of power and glory giving no one else any kind of preference over him, 
so that you may be put down in heaven as those who have been saved. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuhu. Peace and blessings of Allah be upon all of our listeners. Welcome back after the short uh, news break. You're listening to Anika Rahman and I'm talking from Radio Voice of Islam, London. In the second hour, uh, we'll be discussing a very important topic which is related to Hajj, which is Islamic pilgrimage. And in today's show, we will talk about, uh, as I mentioned, Hajj, the Islamic pilgrimage to the holy city of Mecca, which is in Saudi Arabia. Every year, a tremendous amount of Muslims from all over the world perform this pilgrimage, which is performed during the Muslims' month of Dhul Hajjah, which comes two months after the festival Eid al-Fitr, the festival marking the end of the holy month of Ramadan. So, According to the general authority of statistics issued by the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia for the year 2016, a total of you know, 118,62,909 pilgrimage uh, attended and visited Mecca during Hajj to perform the pilgrimage. In this show, we will explore the elements and the, you know, the steps of the pilgrimage and elaborate the meaning as well as background of the Islamic command. Before moving on to our show, we will be having our first guest, who is us, Imam Naseem Bajba Sahib. He is with us. Assalamu alaikum. Peace be upon you. Before asking the question, I would like to introduce uh, Imam Naseem Bajwa. Uh, he is a regional missionary here in London uh, and serving in Batfutu Mosque. He's an imam here and uh, we offer uh, praise behind him every day and we thoroughly enjoy his voice as well and melodious voice. Moving on to our questions, as I mentioned earlier, we are discussing Hajj today. I would like to ask uh, Imam uh, uh, Naseem Bajba Sahib, what is the importance of Hajj in Islam? <coughs> You see, Hajj is one of the five pillars of Islam. Once the Holy Prophet Sallallahu was asked that mm-hmm. uh, what is Islam? The Holy Prophet said, Bunyad Islam wala khamsin. And Islam is based on five things. And then he mentioned the mm, prayers, shahada, kalma shahada, prayers, casting, zakat, and also Hajj. So anybody who calls himself Muslim, he cannot deny the importance of Hajj. But of course, there are some conditions that, uh, number one, the person should be able to afford it. He should be healthy. The person should be safe. So all these things, conditions are there. But if somebody uh, is able to do Hajj and he does not do Hajj, then of course he is uh, answerable to Allah Almighty that he has not... Uh, acted upon the uh, basic teaching of Islam. The other thing is that uh, a great blessing of the Hajj is that the Holy Prophet has said that after a person has performed Hajj properly with all its conditions, then he becomes like a newborn baby. That means that all his sins will be forgiven. So if a person uh, truly you know, believes in Allah and the Holy Prophet Muhammad Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, he will never neglect this. But unfortunately, I would also like to say that uh, Ahmadis in Pakistan, they are uh, 
stopped by the uh, government that they cannot uh, do Hajj. Whereas Ahmadis do believe that we, as a Muslim, if we are permitted, we must do Hajj. But anyhow, that is up to the people uh, who makes the law. They are answerable before Allah the Almighty. But as far as the Ahmadis are concerned, they do believe, and not only believe, but also from all other countries other than Pakistan, they do go for Hajj. Uh, by the grace of Allah, true. Uh, Imam Sahib, could you please explain uh, to our listeners why Muslims, you know, they have to do, uh, they have to shave their head and slaughter the animal after doing Hajj? Yes, you see, once Hazrat Prophet Masih Rabi was asked this question in his question answer session, mm-hmm. what's the significance of shaving the head? He said that this is the sign of dedication. So a person, when he shaves his head, he is declaring that I am now dedicated to my Lord, my Creator. And from now on, I will never do anything uh, against the commandments of Allah, and I will try my best to act uh, in all my affairs uh, according to the law of Allah Almighty. And also, I will try my best to, to love God Almighty in all matters. And for that matter, in fact, once we love God, we should love His creation as well. The, yes, is there any other question? Sorry. No, why uh, Muslims slaughter animal? Yes. Now you see, in slaughtering animal, one lesson is that as the animal is front of us, he has uh, put his uh, you know head and throat before us, his whole body, and now we are slaughtering him. Uh, uh, for our sake. In the same way, Allah says that God has created you for His obedience. So you should also be obedient to God Almighty and learn the lesson from this animal. That animal has given uh, himself before you. Now you should also give yourself and be obedient to your Creator. So the obedience to Allah Almighty that is the lesson in uh, the sacrifices of the animal. But of course, there are many other sacrif- uh, benefits as well. That uh, when we are slaughtering the animal, then we this uh, uh, meat is distributed. Not only uh, it is uh, used for the uh, person who is uh, uh, slaughtering the animal, but also for uh, neighbors, for friends, and a, a third part goes to the poor people. So we are taught that you should look after all the poor people, and this is the, one of the basic duty of every Muslim. So, in other words, you can see that millions of uh, poor people are helped because of these sacrifices. Uh, indeed, uh, Imam uh, Nasim Bajwa Sahib. One of the thing, uh, all the Muslims they are familiar with the you know fasting in month of Ramadan. But one of the fast, um, I would like to ask you that please, if you can uh, tell our listeners the importance of keeping fast on the day of Arafah. Yes, it's a very important question. Many people ask this question, so I would like to present a hadith of the Holy Prophet which is quoted in the book of Muslim. As you know, the Muslim is one of the authentic book of Hadith. It's from Siyasita, that means from 
the six authentic books of Hadith. So, hmm. it is uh, mentioned that Abu Qatada relates that the Holy Prophet وسلم, was asked about observing the fast on the day of Arafat. He said, it atones for the sins of the preceding year and the subsequent year. So, in other words, uh, if a person fasts on the day of Arafat, he will have so much swab that all his sins which he committed in the previous year, they will be forgiven and also uh, the sins which he can commit in the next year. Now, it does not mean that uh, because uh, a great reward is mentioned, so a person should think, okay, let me fast and then I should do whatever I like. No, that, that, that means that then his intention is bad and actions are judge the condition intention of person. So in fact, uh, what he should think that now because Allah has promised with me that I will forgive you uh, your sins, so I should be grateful to him and I should not do anything wrong and I should become a righteous person. Very much right, uh, Imam Sab. Now we're going to move uh, to our fourth question. Could you, you know, please share your experience as we know that you have done Hajj, that what was your experience after doing Hajj and what are the blessings one can get uh, through Hajj or after performing Hajj? Yes, you see, because this is uh, quite uh, uh, such question which uh, required long answer, so, uh, but the time is short, so I'll just briefly mention mm-hmm. that uh, because uh, I have got the British passport, so I was able to perform Hajj uh, in 2004. And with me, uh, I had the uh, sixth family member, and there were some other uh, members of the MD community. And altogether, we were about 16 people who performed Hajj uh, in 2004. And of course, there were many other families also who came from different parts of the world. Now, one thing which I experienced that uh, you see when you pray before the Hanukkah. You have very different uh, feelings and uh, emotions. And uh, it is said that when you pray, when you see the Hanukkah first time, that prayer is acceptable. Surely, but especially. So, anyhow, people, uh, when they go there, they, they are prepared for that. So, I remember I prayed there, and I don't know how much time I spent, but not less than one hour. But that one hour or so went very quickly. Now you see, of course you pray, first of all, for the and then of course for the whole Jamaat, for all humanity. But one thing which I especially realized, uh, that uh, I have got uh, the passport because uh, I'm British national. So it is my duty that I should pray for the British government as well and the people uh, of uh, uh, Britain and the government of Britain because uh, because of, they have given the freedom of religion to everyone. This is why they don't write the, the religion on your passport. So this is why I was especially thankful to the, uh, the British people, British government, and I especially prayed for them and I remember one day I offered two rakat of nafal, especially for the British government and British people, in front of the Hajri Aswar. Mm-hmm. Uh, the other thing is that uh, I, in fact, I was sponsored by some member of the community, 
Farhad and with the permission of Hazrat Mughal Mirza bin Sirai I went there that Ahmadi friend in fact told me that he has got a very difficult task uh, in front of him and uh, he doesn't know what to do and he was really in pain when he was told me this he said please uh, uh, go there and pray for me uh, in, in before Sana Kaaba so I was especially pray, praying for him that Allah do his uh, you know fulfill his uh, desire and uh, especially accept the prayer in this regard and uh, I in fact I very clearly remember I prayed that Allah do that work within these days of Hajj because it's it, if that work is done later on, maybe he thinks that uh, it is just done by chance. Mm. So Alhamdulillah, before, you see, I reached uh, uh, Lahore after I finished my Hajj, my, that gentleman phoned me in Lahore, Alhamdulillah, the work is done. So that was very clear sign for me for the acceptance of prayer related to Hajj. The other thing is, I had uh, pain in my right uh, uh, leg for many years and I was for many months and I was taking medicine for it and I was also told that this medicine is also very uh, harmful but I couldn't help three times a day I was taking that medicine in the morning uh, uh, afternoon and and evening but now you see what happened that uh, during those days of Hajj by the grace of Allah, one day uh, I saw, I felt that I had no uh, pain at all. And from then on, by the grace of Allah, I never used any medical, and I am 100% okay. <laughs> Anyhow, I can mention, in fact, many such incidents. So, Alhamdulillah, I have firm belief that there is a great benefit in doing hard because you will have a great opportunity of acceptance of prayer. You know, very much true. Thank you, uh, Imam Nasim Baba Sahib, for joining us today. I think this is the life uh, or, you know, blessings you see. And uh, I think God still speaks and listens to our prayers. And thank you very much for joining us today and giving us insight and, uh, you know, sharing your experience which you had uh, in, 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 in during Hajj. Zakumullah once again for joining us today. Even though, you know, um, um, Dr. Tariq Bajwa, we had very uh, little time to speak with the Imam Naseem Bajwa as he had to, you know, go for the uh, prayer, Asar prayer, and he had to lead it. But I think, <clears throat> as we were discussing, God has blessed you as well to do Hajj as well. And inshallah, <laughs> after a few minutes, we will be listening or hearing from you as you have visited a uh, few times and God has you know blessed I think blessed you to do Hajj it's not something small and uh, totally you know surely it, it, it is Allah's help and uh, Allah's blessings that one uh, is able to perform Hajj uh, before uh, you know going to you uh, I would like to uh, go through the, 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 the you know the first of all what is Hajj and because we started the show and took our first guest I would like to you know go through uh, for our listeners that just explain them uh, what is Hajj as you know Imam Naseem Bajwa has also mentioned the fifth act of Islamic worship uh, is the performing of Hajj or the pilgrimage of Mecca 
a Muslim must perform this you know, pilgrimage at, at least once in his lifetime if uh, economic and political conditions allow him to do so. And the focal point of this pilgrimage is the Kaaba, which is you know, the rebuilt by the Prophet Ibrahim around 4,000 years ago. Today, the Kaaba stands in the middle of large country yard of Masjid al-Haram, Haram, the second mosque. The country yard of Masjid al-Haram contains, besides the Kaaba, the, you know, the Maqam Ibrahim, the place of Ibrahim, and the fountain of Zamzam. And if we discuss the Kaaba, what is Kaaba? You know, Muslims around the world face the direction of Kaaba. They go around in the, uh, of when they are doing Hajj or visiting uh, the, the, the Kaaba. In Arabic, it's, 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 it means cube. You know, when they pray, the Kaaba it means cube, and in the shape the, the Kaaba is. And uh, all the Muslims, as I mentioned earlier, they face towards uh, Kaaba and they offer prayers. And whenever they are there for uh, Hajj or Umrah, when they're visiting, then they go around it and, you know, do or uh, perform Hajj and Umrah as the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, has done. The Hajj is prescribed uh, to be performed during special dates of the Muslims' month of the Hijjah, while a laser pilgrimage called Umrah may be made individually at any time during the year, as, as I was mentioning earlier. The Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, performed Umrah four times and Hajj once. Allah the Almighty says in the Holy Quran, In it are manifest signs, it is the place of Abraham, and whose enters it enters peace. And pilgrimage to the house is a duty which man, those who can find a way, you know, thither owe to Allah. And whoever disbelieves, let him remember that Allah is surely independent of all creatures. Again, living in this country, I should I cannot say <clears throat> that everybody I can't say that everybody has money or wealth. But one thing I know that for Ahmadis particularly as they cannot go to Hajj from Pakistan, as they have, you know, declared that, uh, God forbid, that Muslims, uh, Ahmadi Muslims are not uh, Muslim, they are not non-Muslims, and they cannot go to Hajj, and they cannot perform their prayers even in, in, in the country. And when Muslims or Ahmadi Muslims are here in, in other in Western countries, where Allah the Almighty has blessed them and given them, you know, clearer way, and now they can go, uh, to to Hajj through there, they have a different passport now, and I think one should be saving up for this. One should be thinking continuously that this is something which we cannot do. Uh, you know, uh, every day we have to go something. You know, the other pillars are Islam. There, you can do it in your daily life. In every year, zakat can be paid, and but there are one. There's one thing which you have to. You know, properly think of and you have to uh, save up for something to perform the Hajj. It you know shouldn't be that okay when God will give me some time or the money and I will go do so. I think it's you, we, it's our duty as well to think that how we can fulfill it. Uh, God has the circumstances not very poor here. One is spending their wealth on different things. So similarly, one should be I think personally saving up for this. Not you know putting uh, yourself in so much difficulties, but I think in a regular um, the income you are getting, you should be saving up for Hajj as well, and try and pray to God Almighty that God you know enable us to also go and fulfill one of the pillars of Islam. 
I think more importantly, the, the health-wise, it's just very important because you need to be healthy. Yeah. Because uh, it is a tough job. Hajj mm. is not not an easy task. It's uh, you have to do a lot of walking, and uh, if you are not well enough, then you won't be able to perform all the manasike Hajj. That is the um, all the elements of Hajj which are which are to be performed as a part of the Hajj. And uh, so, um, I mean, there are some facilities, some uh, resources now that you can use uh, some vehicles to perform, for example, Sa'i and Tawaf, that's the circuits around Kaaba. And uh, moving up and down in Safa and Marwa, they, are, they have uh, uh, like electric vehicles available now, uh, which used to be very, very difficult in the past. Um, but... I think you enjoy it more when you are healthy, when you are in a good health, and you can, um, because you then you can concentrate on your worship, your prayers, and rather than being worried about how am I going to do that and mm. how is, uh, and and uh, you become a liability upon others who are responsible for you to, or let them perform, Hajj. Uh, but uh, the thing is that if we if we look back. Uh, you know, today today is the second day of, of Hajj. That Hajj was done this year. The Hajj was done yesterday. That was the ninth of Zil Hajj, um, and when, that's when people all get together in the um, in Arafat. Arafat is the place where the Holy Prophet, may peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, who only performed one Hajj. Uh, and that is when he addressed the people at, at that gathering of in Arafat. Um, so the second day, uh, this uh, ninth ninth of Zilhaj, you uh, you know you are all supposed to be in Arafat, in Arafat, even for a, a small period of time. But if you do not attend on the ninth of Zilhaj, then your Hajj is incomplete and is not considered to be done. So that is, there are, there are three things, a part of the Hajj, which if you don't do, you, your Hajj is not considered to be, um, you know, to be done. So, so, so that is, that is a, a, an obligation. But looking back, you know, why I've mentioned about the health is that if you look, not, not very long ago, even like 50 years ago, if you look, it was very, very difficult to perform Hajj. People mm -hmm. used to go on the, um, on the, on the naval ships, uh, you know, from Karachi and from mm. from Mumbai, people and and um, the difficulties they faced during the journey and even during the Hajj were such that many of them would not return. So it was like a, a part of the culture to say goodbye to these people. And uh, mostly these were also people who were not like, who had gathered, you know, penny by penny, they had gathered their mm. savings of their life. And uh, they had reached at a stage where they, obviously they were old, older people and it was the, usually the children would be happy to send their parents for Hajj as a last thing that this is needed to be done. And uh, many of them, they would die during the, their journey because the ship's journey was about 14 days from Karachi mm -hmm. to when they reached Jeddah. And from Jeddah, then they traveled either by a camel or um, or, or on a very bad road. You see this uh, oil wealth in Saudi Arabia, 
that has come very recently it is mm-hmm. not a very old one and and at True. that time obviously they did not have the resources um to uh, to establish good roads metal as we see today so today you know it is it has got the luxury of every kind if you can afford to you can have anything you know all the um luxurious hotels the transport is available and it is you know you can travel either by air by either by or by train or yeah. by um by car whatever you know and the best cars they have um so so that the the situation has changed and and obviously now um those who can afford obviously they should they should perform hajj and uh, we f- being from pakistan you know we never even thought of performing hajj before we came here in the uk and uh, so that was a dream which we thought that it is just a dream uh, and would would never be fulfilled uh, but strangely you know this is uh, uh, an irony that people some of the non muslims some some of the not the non muslim but the muslims um who raise an objection against the holy founder of the ahmadiyya muslim community hazrat mirza ghulam ahmad qadian that he did not perform hajj although he was a he was a prophet of god his claim was that he is a prophet of god how come he did not perform a hajj mm. and uh, and at the same time they were also put the restrictions that the amdis should not be allowed for hajj and and there was a danger of life that if you perform hajj and then you are caught there they some of them they have been imprisoned in saudi arabia for for a long long times so it is difficult and to perform hajj there are two basic requirements as you mentioned um, earlier that one is that you should be able to afford it financially um and that you can go there comfortably do not become dependent on anybody and you don't have to beg at the while you are there and you can if you fall sick you are able to treat yourself um and you should be able to pro- to to afford the accommodation there and the travel there so all these are the first the first basic requirement the second one is that you it will should be safe for you to go there so if you are in danger while you are there like the md's are nowadays if they are traveling from pakistan or india or or maybe some other countries as well um so uh, there is this restriction and that obviously um god almighty is looking upon the intention of people how many people are they intend to do or they intend to perform hajj but they are not in a situation where they can perform hajj but here i may just clarify that the holy founder of the amnesty community although he did not perform hajj but somebody did perform hajj on his behalf so which is called hajj badal that mm. somebody else can perform hajj for, for on your behalf similarly over the the first caliph of the amnesty community hazrat hakim maulvi nuruddin he performed hajj twice the second caliph also performed hajj twice the third caliph performed hajj somebody performed hajj on his behalf uh, and similarly with the fourth and the fifth caliph they have all have uh, somebody to perform hajj on their before behalf just because although they can afford to perform hajj but uh, the situation is such that start, it's, start it's not English, yes. and, sit there, and and i think once the the situation changes and they are not going to be always remain like that and uh, once it is open for for md's they will be the very first one who would go and perform hajj um 
inshallah, God willing, that will happen um, in the near future, and we look we're looking forward for to to that. So these are these are the basic core requirements that you know um, that one you are you are healthy, you are able to do it, and uh, so earlier you do better it is. I, I caught you up while you were talking about mm. why one should not miss the opportunity and just wait because while you are postponing things, then it never happens. So yeah. so the earlier you make the decision, better it is. I think it's phenomenal nowadays there's misunderstanding that or, or you know people, the way people are thinking to that the thing they will do Hajj when we are old, okay, when we are, maybe if we have passed 40, they are very limited number of youngsters they are going for Hajj. must be there be many i'm not saying that because it says uh, you know more than nearly 2 million people visit uh, there and, and but i personally say that all of our especially for our listeners when we're young as you were you mentioning it's it will be easier and it will be true we can truly benefit from hajj and we can you know do everything as people nowadays they have different kind of facilities they are doing say they're doing you know through they have electric uh, bikes and cars because they cannot walk that fast and you know the people so, so many people are there you have to protect yourself as well not to come under the <laughs> fear of others yeah, so I think you have yeah. to be young and uh, you know strong enough to visit the way you know Hazrat uh, Hajra she did it in the beginning and then how the Holy Prophet peace be upon him did it the Sahaba used to do it even though there's no age but youngsters they should be thinking and they should be you know, trying to go yeah, for Hajj. Although, I mean, the, the, oh, now that there are lots of facilities and it's just really a blessing that, you know, mm. that uh, uh, you've got all the marble everywhere in, in Hanakaba, even where you perform the say that you're running mm. between the two uh, mounts, uh, Safa and Marwa. And still now, you know, to, to go around seven times mm. in that, because it's about a kilometer, you know, one way. So you are doing like three and a half kilometers on that. But uh, even on the marble, your, your, your feet tell you that it's not easy. And um, you're going around to the Hanakaba, obviously, it is very, very busy. Because this year, um, about 2.5 million people, uh, they were... Um, performing Hajj over 2.5 million mm. and, and they all have to do this one tawaf it is called tawaf ziyarat um, this has to be performed within like t- within 3 days 10, 12, 10 to 12 even 13 sometimes um, is allowed but uh, they all have to be there performing this tawaf this is one day and, and again there is one there, there are 3 events which are performed for by all Hajjis on in one day hmm. the others are distributed on on you know on on different occasions so so you can be um, you know, one by one people can go but you know on the day of arafat everybody has to be on the arafat so all people have been have to be transported from mina just imagine mm. that's about a five mile journey sometimes people mm. people are go walking as well because the traffic is jammed totally but the government of Saudi I think they they should uh, take the credit that they are able to they manage to transport this number of people uh, in one day and in the morning they have to go and then they have to come back to Muzdalfa Muzdalfa is the next step mm. which is a, a, a ground in between Mina um, and um, where the Mashar al Haram is, um, so um, that so so that is a must. Yeah, I think um, as you're mentioning the steps, yeah. let's start from the beginning. I think for our listeners, it will be benefited beneficial for them. And meanwhile, if you can share your experience as well, that how you know you started and where people have to go and uh, the steps. 
and people, I think that people would like to listen to it and uh, they would would like to hear that what are the steps and what are the difficulties, what are the positivities as you were mentioning before. Okay, I, I think there's, there's a lot of information on the on the on the net as well. Mm. But I think somebody who has gone there and had has had the experience, mm. um, uh, one should consult with 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 that person mm. before going because there are lots of packages available from here from from UK. I'm talking in in particular. Um, How much does it cost? Uh, yeah, the, the cost ranges from you know what kind of uh, uh, hotels you are going to stay in. That is one thing. Mm. And uh, the the nearer, obviously, closer to the Masjid al Haram, and the hotels are they, they're more expensive. Uh, the package uh, again um, is divided into there are two different types of packages. One is where you continuously uh, stay in Mecca, hmm. but there is another package in which you uh, you can be shifted near Mina. There are two places near Mina, which is called Azizia and Shisha, hmm. where there are the, the accommodation, the hotels are relatively cheap. Uh, but then they you don't have the facility to come when you come for a tabaf in Zarat, you don't have access to, to your rooms because they are about uh, about four miles from from the uh, Masjid Haram. So, so this, uh, because, you know, when you have to, to go there, you have to have a muallim or a contractor muallim is the name given although he has nothing to do with mm. any knowledge it is to just a contract that mm. they have a contract that they will they make sure or they give a surety to the government of Saudi Arabia that the people they are bringing to Saudi Arabia they have an accommodation for the number of days they are staying and they have the transport available for the, for the number of days they are going to stay there. So they are responsible for that. So they give them the surety, although they charge their clients accordingly. Mm. And the way they earn the money is that they, they shift the number of uh, hajis um, from Medina to Mecca and from Mecca to this Shisha or Azizia. Mm. And uh, and then of course you spend five days in Mina, and uh, during that five days of Mina, you know whether you have an accommodation in Mecca or not. So depending on that, on that, the charges are are different. Mm. So if you are willing to stay away from from the the Masjid Haram, and you want uh, you can stay in a in a much cheaper hotels. So the charges can be from two thousand, um, but the the charges can go if you want to stay there and closer to. Jamarat. Jamarat is the where the Satan, uh, you know, uh, the, the symbolic Satan walls are there. And so if the closer you are, the the price goes up as well. Mm-hmm. So from 2000 up to, uh, you know, nowadays 14,000, wow. you, can, you can spend, depending on the number of people staying in one room as well. Ah, okay. If you can share by like with six people, with four people with three people, two people. So depending on, so mm-hmm. as the number of people is reduced, the price goes up. So it can be anything from, I, I think the minimum would be 2,000, uh, I would say. But uh, people coming from Pakistan, I think they um, they can have uh, at a much lower price as well. And uh, because they, obviously their accommodation is different, they stay with, with different. So depending on your pocket, you can stay. But as the Hajj journey is a difficult journey, so and it is a commandment by the Holy Prophet, may peace be upon him as well, that that the, any any journey is is sucker. It is difficult. So mm. m- try to make it easy. Mm. So if you should try to make it's it easy for yourself true. rather than 
trying to save money because mm-hmm. it's once in a lifetime it is obligation although if you can afford you can go you know more number of times so that was the very basic so when you when you have contracted somebody who is a who's an agent here and make sure that he's a proper agent then they and they are available there when you are there as well so that if you if they are with you then obviously you you won't have problems because so sometimes sometimes mm-hmm. we i personally uh, out of my four times going there once i have had a very bad experience when the contractor was a fraud and he had not booked accommodation um because obviously uh, or he had double booked the accommodation he had accom- accommodated other people in the hotel and uh, the hotel was not vacant when we reached there so we had to spend the whole night roaming about in a in a bus because there was no accommodation available and so we had to call the authorities the saudi authorities who were helpful and who made us uh, accommodation somewhere else so so these kind of problems can happen so one has to be very careful that we get how it proper how do you find person. the contractor Malim, how do you find it? Yeah, that, that that's what is that the, the people you meet here? They are the subcontractors. The okay. contractor is a, is a one Malim. He has like four five thousand people under okay. him. Okay. So then he has uh, sub agents. So those sub agents you have to find a reliable ones. Hmm. So which have good good reviews. Look look at the reviews hmm. and people who meet the people who have gone with them and they are happy with them. So do you need a visa for that? so they are the ones who will arrange visa for okay. visa for hajj because for nowadays for umrah it is not very umrah is a very very different um, nowadays it's very very easy it's just like a tourist you you can get in within minutes online uh, and umrah you can book uh, you, the accommodation yourself you can travel mm. and and it's it's very very different but hajj hajj is still different you, you need to have a contract and you have to go through uh, uh, getting a package mm. so that is the very first step you take mm. and then on the day when you when, when you have you are traveling then you have to see because some of the flights they will take you directly to medina mm. and whereas the others will take you to jeddah if you are going to jeddah then the jeddah comes within the miqat mm. miqat yeah. are the are the designated places from where onwards if you are going to mecca mm. um, with a intention of performing an umrah or a hajj you have to be in your ihram so ihram is the the seamless two white sheets which you have to wear nothing else um, and and the open um, sandals or shoes um which you know um, which which should be open from the top of your shoes as well so n- apart from that no underclothing nothing else for men you have to to wear before you reach miqat after miqat you know if you are not in a haram that is not not allowed so you have to particularly when you are going first time and you are going to mecca but if you are going to medina then it's fine because then you are not entering miqat yet so you can stay there in medina for a few days perform your uh, your prayers in uh, in in masjid nabawi in the in the mosque of the prophet uh, pray in jannat al-baqi visit all the ziyarats like you go to uhud you go to the battle of badr mm. you go all these but they are not compulsory that's not part of hajj mm. that is just in addition so okay. either you do it before hajj or after hajj it's up to up to you where where you want to go so when you uh, when you you reach jeddah then you know from there you travel to to mecca by by the transport you can go by taxi you can go by um, you know, the rain transport and you reach your hotel so after reaching your your hotel then you the first thing you do is that you have to perform the very first um first tawaf which is hmm. part of the which is called umrah uh, which is a part of hajj as well although there are 
three different types of hajj and accordingly you behave but umrah is part of that uh, and the difference is whether you take off your ihram after performing umrah or not um if you uh, if you are uh, um continuing and the hajj days are very near yes. then you don't take off your ihram and that is called hajj tamatto and and hajj kiran these are the two different varieties and uh, where you 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 hajj tamatto you can take off your ihram and then you you wear your ihram again when Once you are again. going to perform hajj mm. so you you go for for umrah that's a part of the hajj as well and and as uh, our first guest uh, uh, imam nasim bajwa um, mentioned that you, you when you see the kaaba then you say prayer you stand up there but that is one thing i would sh- like to share with everyone as you said that to share your experience that the first time you see khana kaaba it is the impact you have is such that you know it is it is beyond explanation because you see here this is a this is a you know a huge building which is you know which apparently people from all over the world throughout their lives you know they turn to this cube building mm. uh the black building which is so gracious and gr- its grandeur comes to you and you think of god almighty that this is the home of god this is this is where everybody turns to and you see that and uh, then uh, you know obviously um you are overwhelmed with emotions and then you say prayers and uh, and uh, you know like nasim bajwa so i had the experience that i had read about hazrat the second caliph of the ahmadiyya singh he has written um about uh that he had heard it from the first caliph uh, that when he visited khanaka for the first thing because he had he had read that for the first prayers are accepted what he prayed was that oh allah i am always in need i am always needy i am in need of your help all all the time So please whenever I pr- pray and I am in need please accept my prayers. So this is something you know if you you pray there then and then your all your prayers are accepted. And as regards uh, Khana Kaaba being in 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 Kaaba or around in Mecca is concerned I think that one has to even think very carefully what he is thinking of you know praying about because the prayers are accepted in such a manner that's you you are amazed that oh i just thought about it and god has fulfilled that so it is it is such kind of because you know usually i say that you know if if you want some something to be accepted if you go to somebody's home you know even if he is your enemy he will forgive you and he will do what you want him, him to do true so that is even in the human being so what about allah that you have gone to his home so once you are at his home you know whatever you you ask you know he, he your prayers are accepted and that is the first and foremost and you ask forgiveness of allah and that is why allah says that once you have been to hajj your all your for, for sins are forgiven true so that is that is part of it so so you see and then you start your tawaf that circuits you have to perform seven circuits you start in the line of the hajr aswad that's the black stone and uh, you, because it's very difficult to kiss the the stone although you ideally you should kiss the, the stone uh, when you're starting but even you you point at it with your hands and you kiss your hands and then you start and you go anti clockwise and you have to perform 
seven circuits. Mm -hmm. So once you've completed the seven circuits, then you you go towards Maqam Ibrahim. Maqam Ibrahim is a place where it is said that Hazrat Ibrahim stood there while they were reconstructing the Hanakaba. And there are they have as a symbolic they have put the footsteps they are um, they are like the stones in which there are marks of the feet and they say they are, they are the marks of the feet of prophet oh, ibrahim yeah. so it is a very blessed place uh, although there is a different uh, interpretation of maqam ibrahim as well that while you are while you are saying prayers it is said that you should say prayers on the side of maqam ibrahim Mm -hmm. So you are in front of uh, Khana Kaaba, that is the side where the door of Kaaba is. So you stand there and you perform two rakats of uh, nafal. But before performing this nafal, you have to go, once you have finished your tawaf, you go and you drink Abe Zamzam. Mm -hmm. Now Abe Zamzam is also a sign of God and uh, there is, uh, there is uh, cure in it and there is a special prayer and there is a special protocol when you drink this Abe Zamzam that you f stand facing the Kaaba and mm -hmm. you stand, not mm -hmm. sit. You mm -hmm. stand facing the Kaaba and you, you take in three portions, mm -hmm. drink this water and, and uh, you ha there is a special prayer which you pray at that time uh, and uh, uh, it is for, it's forgotten, got back of my mind now. Allahumma inni asaloka ilman nafia wa rizqam wasia wa shifam min kulidain. So this is the prayers which you, when you are drinking, then you pray. Allahumma inni asaloka ilman nafia. Give me um, knowledge which is beneficial for me. Wa rizqam wasia. And and uh, uh, widen my provision, mm. and the third thing, uh, uh, and give me um, cure from all the diseases, every disease. So this is when you uh, when you are uh, this is a protocol of uh, drinking of Zamzam. The Holy Prophet did in his life. Yeah, this okay. is this is a sunnah of the Holy sunnah Prophet. May peace be upon him. So then after that you say f the two rakat prayers, and you uh, and then once you have finished two rakat prayers which you can say as long as you like and uh, depending on you know how your situation mm. how you feel and then you turn to Safa Safa is towards where um, Hajri Aswad and you stand there and you again raise your hands and pray um, before starting Sai mm. now Sai is part of Umrah but you can either do that Sai now or you can say it later on when you are doing Tawaf Ziyarat as well mm, okay. so it is your choice you can do either of them mm. so the here you have to go seven times that means uh, basically the three and a half rounds and each round is about a kilometer, as I mentioned. From Safa, you go towards Marwa, and from Marwa, and so you end at Marwa. When you end at Marwa, again, you raise your hand, you pray, or you can say to Nafal as well. And after that, your Umrah is finished. So if you are, it is Hajj Tamatto, then you can shave off your head or clip your ha hair, and then take off your Ihram. But if it is a Hajj Kiran, you carry on, uh, you don't shave your head, but you, you carry on wearing the same ihram. Hmm. This is the difference. So then, so this is your Umrah is complete, and the first Tawaf is also complete here. Then on the 8th of Zilhaj, because there are five days of Hajj, 8th of Zilhaj, you go to Mina. Hmm. Mina is a place where there are lots of tents where you have to stay for five days. Now there you say five prayers. 
because you've settled down there, you have to stay there overnight as well for five five days. So you have to perform f- five prayers like Zuhr, Asr, Maghrib, Isha, and the next day Fajr. Fajr yes. And after Fajr, you have to go to Arafat. Hmm. So there is a transport available for to going to Arafat, depending on your package where the the, the your tent is based on mm. that. And the, these tents are not uh, ordinary tents; they have got lots of facilities um, uh, according to your package. You know, they, they they are comfortable enough that you can have your sleep, you can say your prayers as well. And uh, from there, you, by the transport, you go to Arafat. Uh, in Arafat, while you are there, although there is a there is a sermon of Hajj, um, but usually it is it is in Masjid Nimra. There is a Masjid Nimra. There is a mosque there. Uh, but the the Friday the Hajj sermon was performed by the Holy Prophet on Mount Arafat, which is which is called Jablur Rahmat. Mm-hmm. And so many people go on Jabal Rahmat and they climb up to to that. It's, it's not a very high mm-hmm. mount, but uh, people go there as well. But because so there are millions of people there, so, so there is a danger that you can you might miss where where you are. Mm-hmm. So they don't go too far. They can say their prayers, but the main worship is just to stand. It's called Vakuf. Stand in the direction of Kaaba. Raise your hands and pray. That is the main worship there in in Arafat. So. After sunset, you leave Arafat, and it is a tradition of the Holy Prophet ﷺ. But you don't say your Maghrib namaz there. Hmm. You say you come to Muzdalfa, which is the next step next, and this is an open space, no construction, no, and nothing, no tents. Uh, you you just have to lie down uh, and sleep, spend the night. Uh, so you take your sleeping bag or something that you can lie down mm-hmm. uh, on, under the you know open. Uh, uh, you can you can count the stars there. Mm-hmm. But but you you spend. But the first thing you do is you combine your prayer Maghrib with Isha. Mm-hmm. So it's one azan and two two takbirat, uh, one for Maghrib and Isha. And many people, they are, because MDs are used to combining <laughs> prayers. But so many people are asking, oh, how do we see, say that? How do we combine the prayers? So you spend the night and after Fajr from, from Mazdalfa, you go back to Mina. And, they, and that day, which is Eid day, mm. but there is no Eid for Hajis. Mm. So the Hajis go and they have to... Um, to um, to stone the satans. Okay. Now there are three satans, and nowadays they reside in in very air conditioned accommodation. There are five <laughs> stories, but they used to be only two by two, and there used to be a lot of stampede there. But thank God that that they have been reconstructed, and they are very safe places now. You can go there, but you have to walk sometimes like three or four miles. Two miles to go, two miles to come back, and go and. But on the on this day, on the first day, you only stone with seven stones. Um, uh, the the big there are three three satans. satans. The one medium, one is small, and one is a large one. The large one on the very first day, and then you come back, and you have already paid for your sacrifice, the animal sacrifice. And how uh, do you find that? Uh, uh, there are uh, stalls available. Then you can, can pay. You can pay. You don't have to go to okay, because there is a okay. there is a sacrifice place where actually which is also close to Mina where Hazrat Ismail was put down by Hazrat Ibrahim mm-hmm. that place you can see so near to that is a slaughterhouse so there all the animals are slaughtered do people go to do themselves? some of them okay. they go but it's a difficult task in mm-hmm. that many number of mm-hmm. people so you can just pay and that's it. so after that you have to on the, uh, you have to go that day you have to go for Tawaf-e-Ziyarat 
So again, you go do the seven circuits. If you haven't done Sai that time previously, then you do Sai as well, mm. and then you come back. But one thing I forgot to mention is that after you have done the the it is called uh, Rami. Rami is throwing stones at the Satan. So then, if once your sacrifice has been done and you confirm by telephone, somebody tells you that your sacrifice has been done, then you can shave off your head and take off your ihram. So tawafi ziyarat is performed in ordinary clothes. Mm. That is one thing people don't, many of them, they don't know. No. In ordinary clothes, you perform the main main tawaf of hajj is without with the ordinary clothes. Okay. So so that tawaf is ziyarat, once you have done, then you come back to Mina, stay for another two or three days. So today and tomorrow, People are still staying in Mina, and that what they have to do is to say their normal prayers and do the Rami again, mm. which is on the three different settings. Uh, every day, they have to, to, to throw seven stones on each one of them. So these are basically the places where um, when the, the Hazrat Ibrahim al-Islam was coming to sacrifice his child, the Satan came and, and, and told him, what are you going to do? You know, you are going to kill your own fun, son at this age. Mm. So so he was trying to whisper in his mind that this is, uh, you, you are doing something which is not right. So, but he, he threw stones at, at the Satan and rejected him. So he rejected him three times. And that is why in the in remembrance of that, mm. people throw stones. So after you have completed, like on the 12th of Silhaj, once you have finished, you come back and your Hajj is complete then. So I, it's your choice if you want to stay on the 13th day. So all you need is, um, you know, at least five or maybe six days. Five days are the Hajj days. And then... On the top of that, if you know it is your choice, you want to go to Medina. So, uh, but but my advice would be to come out as soon as possible once the Hajj is performed, because there's so many people there, and there are chances that you get some kind of an infection after that. Um, so, uh, better it is if you come earlier, the better. If you leave that place, and then you maybe you can go later on for an Umrah if you want to spend more time there. Can you please tell the listeners about Takbirat as well? I think. What is? Takbirat. Yeah, takbirat is, uh, you know, one takbirat is when we say, you know, during Eid, like mm. we're saying, Allah Akbar, Allah Akbar, La ilaha illallah, Allah Akbar, Allah Akbar, Allah Akbar, But then uh, when you are wearing ihram, then you start takbirat. Mm. Uh, once you have, uh, when you have wear ihram, then you have to say two rakat nafal prayers, covering your head. Then you take off mm. your your cover of the head, and then you say start takbirat, which is called talbiya. And talbiya is labbaik, Allahumma labbaik. Labaka la sharika laka labak in alhamda wan nemata laka wal mulk la sharika lak. So you continue repeating that, and uh, while you are that, once you have, once you start the, the, the circuit of the Kaaba, then you stop saying the talbiya. So, so on your journey, you continuously say that because what it's, what it means is maybe you can um, explain the translation that, oh God, I am here, I am here. La Sharika, like there's no partner uh, associated, associated partner. with you. Inna alhamda wa neemata laka, all the blessings and all the praises for you. Wal uh, mulk and all the, uh, you know, countries are, uh, all, all, the, the, power, all uh, the power is with you. La Sharika, like there is no non associated with you. So this is, this is what, so it is an experience of being in love. You know, if you have seen somebody 
who has gone crazy in love with someone hmm. he goes that he doesn't care about his hair he doesn't care, care about his makeup or beauty he doesn't care about what he is wearing so you go in two sheets just as if you are a dead person in coffin so present you present yourself to god and you present and you ask for forgiveness that is that is the story you know amazing <laughs> i think uh, i could have you know read the script and mentioned i think it was better to listen from the person who has visited it and i think it's more easier to understand that what are the steps and how we can go it i think we should also pray that we should be you know god almighty enable us to go for hajj and i think we should promise ourselves and start saving up for that that we can fulfill the you know the the, the commandment and the what allah taala wanted from us and in the lifetime and uh, to purify ourselves and again you know reconnect with allah the almighty through through prayers and worship so may allah almighty enable all of us and i would like to thank at the end uh, the producer of today's show and the technical team working behind the scenes thank you very much once again and uh, you know you can join us and you can tweet us on our @islam uk until next time assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa